If you were in adult life group this morning, we talked about Daniel uh, in the lion's den, at least we did in mine, and I think we did uh, in most of them, if not all. And Daniel is a story of opposition, uh, that he has very present and real opposition to living out his faith. And we, we kind of saw what Daniel did. He, he didn't change. He kept living out his faith no matter what. Um, we don't live in that world, uh, but more and more in uh, Western and American culture, Christians and Christian belief and Christian worldview is becoming a part of the minority, not a part of the majority. Now, we should take some heart this morning because that is the the Christian experience across the whole world is much more like Daniel than it is like ours. Uh, most of human history, Christianity has not been the majority, has not been the dominant thought, has not been protected by liberty and rights. And so we have lived in a privileged, uh, free society here. Now, in our study of Luke, Jesus is taking on more and more opposition. As he teaches, as he explains what the kingdom of God is, as he does these miracles, as he proclaims the good news, there is more and more opposition from the Pharisees. And we've seen that the last two weeks. He's kind of come at them head on. Well, today he turns and he's going to teach his disciples how do you deal with this opposition? How do we deal with those that are set against us? And he's specifically going to address the issue of who should we fear. Jesus is looking at his disciples, knowing that it's only a matter of months or less than a year before he's gone. He knows what they're going to face. And so he is teaching them, preparing them for the world where they will face opposition where they will be tempted to fear man. Jesus knows that not only were they going to be tempted, but each one of us is tempted to fear man over fearing God. And he knows that fearing man will lead us to compromise, will lead us to uh, do things that are not in our beliefs or value systems. And so Jesus today gives us a few reasons why we should fear God rather than men. So let's look at it. Luke chapter 12, and we'll be verses 1 through 12. It says, In the meantime, when so many thousands of the people had gathered together, they were trampling one another. He began to say to his disciples first, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light. And whatever you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. Verse 4. I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body. And after that, have nothing more that they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And not one of them is forgotten before God. Why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. So fear not. You are of more value than many sparrows. 
Verse 8. And I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man also will acknowledge before the angels of God. But the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. And when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. Let me pray. God, we thank you for your instruction to us that helps us uh, to live as your disciples. God, and we live in a very different world than these disciples and even Daniel. But God, we live uh, in similar times as well. And I pray that as we um, face the challenge of identification and association with you, God, I pray that each one of us who claims to know Christ and claims to have been saved by the good news of the gospel, God, that we would acknowledge you before men, that we would be willing to identify and associate with you fully. God, may we not shrink back from our confession of faith, God, but as we face opposition, God, I pray that you would, as you promised, you would give us your presence, your Holy Spirit, who's there to teach us what to say, who's there to encourage us, who's there to to embolden us and is there to remind us of the truth that you are big and we are small, that you have all authority and that all human authority is small. God, and so may our view of you this morning grow and may our view of our fears and uh, humanity shrink in so that we would have a right perspective on this world. We love you. We pray all this in your son's name. Amen. Amen. All right, so let's start in verse 1. Uh, it says, Thousands had gathered so much so that they were trampling one another. Uh, Jesus continues to attract these large, large crowds because of his miracles, because of his teaching. And yes, some of them in the crowd are against him, but many of them are for him. And so he takes this opportunity to turn to his disciples. He turns his attention to his disciples to tell them how they should be living. And here's his instruction in verse 1. What does he say? He says, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. He says, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Leaven is yeast. Leaven, anybody bake bread in the room? Anybody? Or do you just buy bread at the store? I know Trevin Edwards is a big bread baker. Leaven is yeast, right? And you put a little bit of leaven, yeast, in your dough. Why? So that it spreads throughout the whole dough and does what? Ferment sugar. No, no, not that. So that it does what? So that it causes it to rise, right? That's the point of yeast or leaven. And Jesus says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. He's saying their leaven, he's comparing it to sin. And he's saying their leaven, their sin is hypocrisy. And it infects the whole thing. It's pretty small. 
just like most sin is, right? It starts real small. It starts real uh, not a big deal, right? We can justify it, but it infects the whole thing. And he says, beware of this leaven, and he calls it hypocrisy. What is hypocrisy? Hypocrisy is saying one thing with our mouth and living a totally different way with our life. It's confessing one thing in front of certain people, but confessing something else in front of other people. Some have described it as being two-faced, that with these people I look this way, but around these people I look that way, right? Hypocrisy is a disjointed, non-continuous, non-consistent life. And he says, do not be like the Pharisees who say that they love God, but do not love humanity. They say that they worship God, but then they heap all these rules on people. They, they, they do their good works to be seen by men, but they don't care about doing it when no one's there to see them. He says, don't be like the Pharisees. Their life is not consistent. And I want us to see this morning, because I think Luke wants us to see this, that the root of their hypocrisy is fear. I don't know that I've ever seen this before, but as I read these consecutively, I realized that the reason the Pharisees are hypocrites is because they fear man more than they fear God. They fear those that can see their actions more than the one who is unseen, right? And so Jesus is saying they are hypocrites. Why? Because they have a greater fear of man than they do of God. Look at verse 2. He says, Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. So why should we beware of hypocrisy? Because Jesus makes this point. We may be able to fool one another. In fact, we are. <laughs> we all know how, listen, we all get this, hopefully, unless you have no cooth, as my grandmother would say. Uh, you, we know how to put on the right front and fool certain people and make people seem as if we're a certain thing, whether it's happy or successful or whatever. We know how to do this. We know how to wear the mask. And Jesus reminds us of this point. He says, nothing is covered up that will not be revealed. And so the point for us is this. We may be able to fool one another, but we are not able to fool God who sees all and knows all and is over all. Humanity, that person we're trying to fool, they only see a little bit. God, he sees everything. And so we may be able to hide some things from those around us. We may be able to fool those that see us, but we will not, I repeat that, we will not hide anything from God. God knows all things. This reminds us of Genesis 3. Uh, I, we were, I don't remember where I was teaching this recently, to my kids or somewhere. In Genesis 3, Adam and Eve sin. And what happens? What do they do? They hide, right? They run in the midst of the trees and try to hide. What else do they do? They try to cover themselves up because they don't want God to see their sin. And it's this silly picture because it's the God who created them, breathed them into existence, has been walking with them in the garden, and they're going to use some piece of his creation to try to hide as if he doesn't know? It's silly. It's like my kids when they play hide and seek. They're terrible. They have, 
I know where they are because they're giggling, because they're laughing, because they left the door open, because they moved the stuff, right? That's our effort to try to hide our sin before God. He knows all things, he sees all things, and he's over all things. And so Jesus is telling his disciples, quit being silly. Don't be hypocrites. God sees all and he knows all. Verse 3, he continues. He says, therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light. And what you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. We're so tempted to think that when sin is done in private or sin is done in the darkness, that it doesn't matter. In fact, we're more prone as humanity to sin in the darkness than in the light. True nighttime versus daytime. There is way more crime at nighttime than there is at daytime. Why? Because we think it's hidden. Because we think that it's covered. And so because no one saw it, maybe we don't feel any shame. No one saw it, so we don't feel like our reputation is damaged. And what Jesus says is that nothing that is hidden will not be revealed. Nothing done in the dark, nothing whispered in private rooms will not be one day exposed by the light. And this is terrible news. If you're still in your sin, if you've never been given forgiveness or pardon or mercy, this is terrible news for you. Why? Because nothing that you've done, and in fact everything that you've done, will be known before God and you will stand and give an account for the life that you lived before the God who knows all things, sees all things, and understands all things. This is terrible news. You cannot hide. You cannot cover it yourself, right? And this was Adam and Eve's problem too. And this is why at that point in human history, God intervenes because he knows we're going to try to cover it up. We're going to try to hide it. We're going to try to deal with it, but we can't. And so Jesus enters the picture in Genesis 3 when God promises that one day the seed of the woman will come and crush the serpent's head. He will do what we could not do. He will live the life we could not live. He will die the death we deserved. Why? To cover up our sin. To wash it away fully and finally. What an amazing gift grace really is. So the question today really is this. Do you fear God enough to seek mercy, to seek forgiveness, to be honest, to, to be humble, and say, God, I, I failed, I've fallen short. Is, is your fear of God greater than your fear of man? Because if it is, then we'll seek, we'll seek to be forgiven and free and washed clean before him. But if our fear of man is greater than our fear of God, then what will we do? We'll cover up, we'll hide, we'll mask, We'll try our own ways to feel better about ourselves, to justify our sin. The question today is a very simple one. Which one is greater? Do we fear God or do we fear man? Our fear of man will lead us to compromise, will lead us to death. But our fear of God will lead us to repentance and mercy and grace Let's keep going. Verse 4. 
He says, I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body and have nothing, and after that have nothing more that they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies, and not one of them is forgotten before God? Why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. So fear not. You are of more value than many sparrows. So he comes first and he says, do not fear those who can kill the body. Now, I I don't want to deny. I don't want to deny. I'm going to be honest, right? There are real reasons to fear men. (laughs) There are earthly consequences to uh, not going against authorities, right? The fear of man is a real thing. And there's there's certainly something they can do. And Jesus owns that. He owns, they can kill your body, right? Now, we don't live in that world, so that's hard for us to even fathom. But fear of man is a real thing. When we disagree with the authorities about what is right or wrong, what is moral or immoral. And there's been many times, and there are many times in today's world that, that holding to a Christian belief, saying that Jesus is the only way to salvation, saying that all sorts of Christian belief, that will get you put in prison, that will get, get you thrown in jail, that will get you uh, your head cut off. It's true in our places in West Africa where we go to do missions. It is not socially advantageous to be a believer. It's not socially ad- advantageous to be baptized because you're identifying fully with Christ and that means you're probably cut off from your community. It means you may suffer some sort of physical pain. Christians are persecuted all around the world, and that is promised. We may experience that to the nth degree. We may not. I don't know. But it's promised to be that way until the end comes. Now, in our culture, this plays out differently. Fear of man leads us to do all kinds of things. It leads us maybe to change or to soften God's word the truth of what we believe because we, we don't want to be put out of that certain group. We don't want it to be awkward when we come to lunch because we have a Christian belief. So maybe we, we step back from it. And sometimes it leads us to, to knowingly walk into sinful situations because we don't want to be isolated. Because we want to be in that friend group. We want to be in that work association. We want to, we want to be included. And so our fear of of, of Man leads us to do all kinds of things. And what Jesus points us to today is this. He says, get your eyes off of here. Man is small. God is big. And fear the one who is big, not the one who is small. And so he gives us three reasons, verse 5, 6, and 7, of why we should fear God. The first reason is in verse 5, that he has authority over our lives. Look at verse 5. He says, I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. The first reason we have to fear God is because he has ultimate authority. Not some legislator, not some king, not some president. God has all authority. And yes, he is given earthly authority, and their authority is derived from his but he has ultimate authority 
over all things. He determines our eternity, whether we spend eternity in heaven with him or in hell separated from him. There is no earthly authority that makes that decision. And so he's, he's pointing us to, should you fear the one with lesser authority or should you fear the one with the most? No, you should fear God because he is the one who has the most authority. The second reason in verse 6 why we should fear God is because he knows all things and he has not forgotten us. He knows all things and he has not forgotten us. Look at it. He says, are not five sparrows sold for two pennies and not one of them is forgotten before God? We read it in Matthew earlier and I think it was two sparrows for one penny, so Luke must have been getting a, a worse rate at this point when he writes his. I don't know what the current rate for sparrows is, but apparently it's about two and a half pennies per sparrow, uh, if my math's right. The second reason we have to fear God is because he knows all things and he does not forget us. The, the big $5 word for this is omniscient. Omniscient. He has all knowledge. And Jesus makes the point that God who has all knowledge knows about five sparrows. He knows what the going rate is for them. And he knows what a fair price for them is. And do you think the God that cares about little two, two sparrows doesn't care about you? You think that the God who knows everything, all the details of an economic situation, doesn't care about you? Yes, he has all authority, but he cares. He does not forget us. God's knowledge is incomprehensible. I don't know if you've ever tried to think about how much God knows. It will hurt if you do it, okay? <laughs> Try to imagine all that God knows. And yet, what does it say? That he does not forget us. If he knows what a fair price for sparrows is, he knows what fair treatment is for us. If he knows about the sparrows, he knows about us. God knows you. He knows where you're at. And so we should fear him. Lastly, the third reason he gives, verse 7, why we should fear God is because he knows us intimately and he values us intimately. Look at it, verse 7. Why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. So fear not. You are of more value than many sparrows. See, we kind of talked about God's knowledge and that it's all-knowing. And, that, and that's one way to think about God's knowledge, that it's, it's general and it's all-inclusive. But it's not just so big like a database that it's just, just unapproachable. No, his knowledge is also intimate. It's personal. It's not just all-knowing. He knows us. He knows, what does it say? The number of the hairs on our head. Try to think about that. How many hairs are in this room right now and how many people this is compared to the whole world? God's knowledge is exhaustive and it's intimate. It's personal. He's not just a database. No, he is a loving father who cares about every hair on our head. He values us. He cares about us. And so we are called to do what? To fear him. Earthly authorities we're a number in a database. They don't care about us or value us. God 
cares about us, values us, and knows us. And so today, the, the point of this all is this. Whatever our view of God is, will determine what we fear. Because if our view of God is that he's just distant, or he doesn't know all things, or that he doesn't care or value us, then we're going to be tempted to, to, to fear man. Because we think maybe God doesn't really understand what I'm going through. God doesn't really get this situation. He doesn't understand how hard it is that, that I've got to conform to this. But if our view of God is big and glorious and biblical, then all of this, the earthly man stuff, won't compare to the truth of who God is. True knowledge of God leads us to fear of God, to worship of God, and to love of God. And so the point today is to get our eyes up, off of the circumstances, off of the, the present difficulties, and to look at God and remember Him and how big He is and how, how strong He is and how capable He is and how loving He is. And I think that's what Jesus is trying to do with His disciples. He's trying to go, get your eyes off of this this present circumstance right here, and look to God who has all authority, who cares about you, and he knows you intimately. Let's keep going. Verse 8. He says, And I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man also will acknowledge before the angels of God. But the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. And when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. Okay, verse 8. He gives us two options. There's only two options. Acknowledge me or deny me. Acknowledge me or deny me. Now, acknowledge, uh, man, we think of that word as kind of light. Like, if I give Kevin Murphy a head nod from here and he gives me a head nod, we just, yeah, there you go, thanks. Uh, we just acknowledged each other. That, that's not what this word means. It carries the sense of identification, of, of familial association, Right? I am a Smith, and whether I like it or not, I'm a Daryl Smith son, uh, for better or for worse. There's no escaping that. That's part of my identity as a human being. This is who I acknowledge as my father, okay? And so the other option is to deny. We either acknowledge, associate, identify with, or we deny the son of man, this is so similar to what he's just said recently, that you're either with me or you're against me. You're either gathering with me or you're scattering. You either acknowledge me or you deny me. There is only two options. It's a line in the stand. And so the first truth is that if we fear God, we will acknowledge him. We will identify with him. We will associate with him. He will have our loyalty. He will have... Uh, say in our life. That's the first truth. The second truth is, 
If that's true of us, we identify with him, then he will acknowledge us before the Father. And what that means is, is that he will stand before the Father. And this is the more important part than us identifying with him. He's going to stand before the Father when we come before uh, him at the end of our life and he's looking at it and he's judging us. And he's going, Did they, were they perfect or were they not? And he's going to go, they weren't. They didn't measure up. And Jesus is going to stand there if we've identified with him and he's going to go, hey, that's mine. I paid for that one. I put that one on my tab. I've already covered that one. That's what it means for Jesus to acknowledge us before the Father. That's what all of us are saved long to hear one day. This one's mine. I've already forgiven him. That's one option. He says the second one is to deny him. The one who denies me before men will be denied before God. And so if we fear men more than we fear God, we will deny him before others. We think of Peter at the, at the, at the trial as he stands in the garden and the trial's going on. What does he do three times? He denies that he ever knew Jesus to some little slave girls, not to Caesar, not to Pontius Pilate, not to anybody. Who does he deny it before? Some little slave girls because he doesn't want to be associated with, identified with Jesus. It's a pledge of allegiance. And not, not this looking at a flag with a hand over our heart. It's a pledge of loyalty. Because if we fear men more than we fear God, we will deny our loyalty to the Father and we will turn and say, we're loyal to you because I'm scared of what you may do to me. I'm scared of the, the social repercussions. And Jesus makes it very clear, you're either with me or you're against me. And then he brings in this part at the end. Let's look at it. Starts in verse 10. And he brings in the Holy Spirit, which Robin and I were having a discussion last night about the Trinity. And we've got the Father, we've got the Son, and now we've got the Holy Spirit. And here's what he says in verse 10. Everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. And so the point that he is making is if our fear of God is greater than our fear of man, we will respond to the Holy Spirit. But if our fear of man is greater than our fear of God, we will blaspheme or deny the Holy Spirit. Okay? So he says, and this, this has always been a controversial passage, maybe hard to understand for some, so let's just look at it. He says, anyone who speaks against the Son of Man uh, will be forgiven. Who's the Son of Man? Jesus. And any, he, he's also described as the Word. He's also described as the Son, right? The Son of God or the Son of Heaven, as we sang earlier. And so this is a picture of us blaspheming, speaking ill, uh, going against God's Word, the Son of Man. So this is all of us. Every single one of us has spoken against the Son of Man. We have all sinned. We have all chosen our own way over God's way. And yet, somehow there is forgiveness for every single one of us in Jesus. Even though we blasphemed the Son of Man, He died in our place and traded with us. There's forgiveness offered to us. Now, the way that we are 
as Christians called into this, is the Holy Spirit works in our lives. He brings us to conviction of that sin, that blaspheming. And we either respond to it or we don't. And so then he goes on, he says, everyone who uh, blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. And so the point he's making is this. Every single one of us has sinned and there's forgiveness offered and the Holy Spirit brings conviction in our life and you have a choice in that moment. Do I respond to it and repent and turn to God or do I reject the Holy Spirit and stay in my sin? And he's saying the ones that aren't forgiven are those who never respond to the good news of the Holy Spirit's conviction. We either fear God or we fear man. Look at verse 11. And when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. He's telling us that our fear of God will lead to boldness, but it will lead to peace. It will lead to calm in our lives. And that when we stand before authorities, it's not if, there's a when here. When they bring you before these authorities, he says, do not be anxious. So contrary to how we would think we should be. I'm going to be anxious in that moment when I'm standing before an authority. He says, why shouldn't we be anxious? Because the Holy Spirit will teach us in that very hour. God's presence is the answer. God's presence is the answer to our suffering. He's the one who indwells us and comforts us. Yes, he convicts us, but he equips us to face anything. Let me tell you one story and then we're done. When I was uh, 24 years old, about nine years ago, I was living in Spain and I was uh, in seminary doing it online and I was living in Spain trying to figure out if God had called me to be a missionary. And I kind of felt like that was the direction God had led me to, so I wanted to really experience it. So I'm living in Spain, I'm there under the International Mission Board, and uh, me and another friend, his name is Brandon, were there together. And we lived in these uh, Spanish homes with uh, Spaniards who were not Christians at all. And... Uh, didn't speak a lot of English either, so that was interesting. But we uh, worked in the schools. That's just how we had a context to do ministry. And so Brandon and I were in, I think it was about 8th grade, ninth grade, something like that, uh, equivalent. And we would go to their English classes and speak English with them. It was great uh, for them. It was great for us. We got to build relationships. They got to learn English, which is something they really wanted to do. Now, we were there as missionaries. We're there to proclaim the gospel to these kids. We weren't allowed to do it at school. And so what we would do is build relationships, invite them to events, invite them to the park to play soccer, basketball, hang out, whatever. And through that and whatever muddled English-Spanish combo we could, we would share the gospel with them throughout the semester. And uh, things were going really well until the principal heard about what we were doing. And uh, a parent had told the principal that Brandon and I were meeting with these kids in the park and talking about Jesus. Now, the parent wasn't mad. The parent thought it was a great thing that there was this influence and they were talking about religious things. And 
But the principal had a very different view. Uh, in Spain, she said, and I've never looked this up, she said it's illegal to try to proselytize or evangelize or convince youth under 18 uh, to change their beliefs. And so she came to our supervisor and told Christy that we, we couldn't be doing this anymore, and if we did, that we were going to face uh, criminal uh, charges, <laughs> go to prison. Now, I don't know. I don't know what the... That's, that was the threat hanging over our head by this principle. Uh, and so this, our, our supervisor came to Brandon and I and told us this one night. And uh, I, I remember in that moment thinking, I, I don't want to go to jail in America. I don't know what jail in Spain is like, but I definitely don't want to go to jail in Spain. I don't, I don't speak Spanish. This is going to go really bad. So in my mind, I was like, man, it was a good semester. It's time to go home. All right, I'm done. Like, not doing this. Uh, I'm telling the truth. This is what I thought. My fear of man was much greater than my fear of God in this moment. And it made me want to cower. It made me want to uh, step back. So the next morning, uh, just like most days, I went to breakfast with my partner, Brandon. We had a, a tostada con jamón y aceite and café con leche. It was good. And we sat over breakfast, and I'm making plans to go home. Hey, Brandon, I'm going to go back to Texas. You're going back to Mississippi. And Brandon brings this passage up, brings Acts 2 up, brings all the book of Acts. It's like, dude, we're not going anywhere. Brandon, dude, we're going. No, did you not understand? Because Brandon wasn't quite all there. Brandon, did you not understand what she said? She said, if we keep doing this, we're going to go to jail. It was the first moment in my life where there were real physical, earthly consequences to having a faith in Jesus. And it took a younger 20-year-old Brandon in my life to go, no, we will not cower. We will not stop. We will continue doing what God has called us to do. And we did. And I didn't go to jail so maybe the law wasn't real. Maybe God softened the principal's heart. I don't know, but God took care of us in a way that I can't even explain today. And so many of our brothers in Africa and sisters in Africa and in the Middle East and in so many places around the world feel this today. And the ones who endure have a big view of God. And the ones that cower and deny have a big view of man and a small view of God. And so the message today, the point of Jesus today, is do not cower in the face of opposition. Have a bigger view of God. Have a, have a large, right, accurate view of who God is so that when we face persecution, so that when we face opposition, so that when there are consequences to living out our faith, we don't step back. That's what we need today more than anything. Whatever you're facing, whatever you're going on, we need a bigger view of God, a more accurate view of God. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you love us and you know us and you care about us. And no matter what earthly trial we may face, no matter what the
position is in our way, no matter what the persecution may be. God, you already know. And you've given us the thing that we need, which is your presence. You've given us the thing that we need in that moment that fills us with the boldness, that fills us with the words, that fills us with the comfort and the peace and the, and the consistency. God, I pray that each one of us, no matter what that opposition, persecution looks like, God, that we would stay true to you, that our confession of faith would remain. God, may we not be like Peter when he cowers. May we not be like Byron in Spain when I cowered, God, but may we be like Brandon. May we be like so many through the, the history of Christianity that have stood and identified and acknowledged you as Lord and Savior. And I pray that if there's someone in here today who doesn't know you as Lord, who's never been filled with the Holy Spirit, has never been uh, saved. God, I pray that you would um, use your word, use the good news of the gospel to do that. God, we love you. Help us to stand strong in the face of opposition. We pray all this in your son's name. Amen.